0: I must apologize for the presence on the stage of Dame Judy Dench. <laughs> um, you've come along expecting <laughs> to get me in unadulterated form. Uh, <laughs> and here yet again is Dame Judy. <laughs> um, it's not the first time this has happened, is it? It isn't. It isn't.
1: No, when Alan was doing Down Cemetery Road at the, uh, in the Cottesloe, we were doing Antony and Cleopatra up here, and... Um, One evening, we met by accident uh, in the middle of Antony and Cleopatra, and we met in the corridors. He was called to go down to the Cottesloe, and I was called to come up here to the Olivia. And we got talking, we got talking, we got talking. And as I put my foot onto the stage of the Cottesloe stage, I realised that I was very, very late for an entrance here. (laughs) This is not the first time.
0: (laughs) But uh, what what it is, is that uh, I've I've done... uh, a platform, I suppose, four times down, I felt I couldn't do the same thing uh, all over again, and so I, I wrote. A, uh, I don't. know, it's, it's really, I suppose, a, a little radio play, um, just a two-hander. Uh, and um, and and Judy very kindly uh, agreed to do it with me. So uh, so I'll, I will, we'll do that. Then Judy has to rush off, uh, and then <laughs> and then we'll do question and answer. Then uh, the setting is the lounge of a large seaside hotel. A middle-aged woman sits in an upright easy chair, the chair beside it empty. A middle-aged man approaches her. Is this anyone's chair?
1: Not this minute.
0: And I'm not uh, trespassing on your preserves. (laughs) Invading your space, as I believe they say nowadays. No. Good. Well, I'll bag it while I can. These chairs by the window are always at a premium. It's the sea. I beg your pardon?
1: People like to look at it. Why, I can't think. It comes in, it goes out. (laughs) Anything else and it would be called (laughs) chilly-shallying.
0: Yes. Still thinking about raining. Can't seem to make up its mind. My point exactly. More indecision. First the sea, now the sky. You seem at odds with the entire universe. Perhaps I am. Alone today?
1: I beg your pardon?
0: No, boss lady.
1: Lying down. We had a walk onto the clock tower. She overdid it. She
0: often overdoes it. Are you two acquainted? One nod, sweet smile, a fellow guest. She's a handsome woman. Yes. Very good for her age, is a frequent comment. She looks after
1: herself, is the other.
0: But is that true? It's you who look after her.
1: I'm glad someone's noticed.
0: How could one help but notice? The drudgery, the devotion, the readiness always to fetch and carry. It warms the heart. Not mine. (laughs) Then you see, I'm old fashioned, sentimental even. There are so few of your sort left. Once a feature of our spas and seaside resorts, those selfless, mild-mannered oftness I'm sure in your case, highly intelligent ladies, trailing in the wake of their more well-to-do employers, carrying their impedimenta, they nowadays so seldom come across. So seldom, in fact, that had the municipality a spark of enterprise or imagination, it would supplement your doubtless, niggardly salary and pay you to haunt the public rooms of hotels such as this, in order to remind today's more fortunate generation of the indignities once heaped upon your gender.
1: I haven't got the faintest idea of what you're talking
0: about. (laughs) Dear lady, look at yourself. The knitting bag, the shapeless cardigan, the self-effacing attention to your employer's every whim. Like the horse trough and the drinking fountain, you are a piece of social history. You are, that thing of the past, the companion. The companion? The companion? I'm not the companion.
1: Mrs Plunkett is not my employer, she's my mother. And anyway, my cardigan is meant to be shapeless. (laughs) This sort is very fashionable now. Mother says it suits me. Do forgive me. Of course, I I see the resemblance now. No, you don't. And even if there was a resemblance, you wouldn't see it. Because unlike my mother, I don't spend every other afternoon at the hairdressers. I'm not dolled dolled up into the nines in dresses designed for a woman half my age. And I don't spend every moment of my waking life thinking of me, 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 me.
0: I seem to have touched a raw nerve.
1: (laughs) How? I have no nerves. No feelings, no emotions. After 40 years of servitude, there is nothing left in my heart that could even be called
0: human. Surely, Miss, uh, it is Miss. Well, what do you think? (laughs) Surely, Miss Blunkett, things aren't as bleak as all that. Listen.
1: I spend my days catering to the needs of a three-quarters empty bottle of Jay's Fluid. Of course it's bleak.
0: Miss Plunkett, Betty.
1: You know my name?
0: It's embroidered on your knitting bag. (laughs) There is hope. Where? It's in the nature of the companion. She's never entirely extinguished. A spark must always linger, an ember that one day will begin to glow, so that the spirit takes fire. She takes off her glasses, unpins her hair, hurls away her knitting bag, and, leaving her employer outraged and weeping, sets off in search of love and life. It's what always happened to Bet Davis. Why should it not happen to you? Because you verbose fool, I have no money. I have no
1: skills. I cannot drive. I cannot even type. All I can do is keep mother
0: company. And wait.
1: Yes wait
0: until she dies they do die of course parents eventually did you have a mother mr Uh, mortimer Mm. i had a father which comes to the same thing Uh, he died Uh, there are no other relations no you have no brother no sister
1: no there is only me
0: and your mother's not passionate about any cause in particular i'm thinking about the will
1: my mother's sole interest is in herself
0: don't be too certain. What do you mean? Making a will is a dangerous moment. Life, after all, is on the turn. The timid become bold, the faint-hearted draw courage. The act of writing a will often induces a fit of insane benevolence towards anyone and everything except those who properly deserved it. Dogs, cats, sailors, donkeys, the widows of clergymen, the friends of Jane Austen. There is no cause, however undeserving, proof against the fatuous generosity of the aging testator. Or, in your case, testatrix. Has she made a will? Yes. And have you seen it? No. She says she has left me everything. She says that cardigan suits you. What can I do? What is there to do but wait? And wait,
1: and wait, until nature takes its course.
0: Quite, but as nature takes its course with her, so it is taking its course with you. None of us gets any younger. And I haven't lived. Where is my life going to start? Miss Plunkett, please, heads are beginning to turn. (laughs) Look on the bright side. Anything may happen. A faulty electric blanket, perhaps. That short, sharp, shock, beloved of Tory Home Secretaries. (laughs) But in this case, not penal, but fatal. (laughs) Food poisoning, a bout of salmonella, some tepid chicken, a dodgy prawn, a dizzy-do on a tall balcony. It can be so simple. You're not suggesting... That you should do away with your mother? No, you would immediately fall under suspicion. But you wouldn't. I. Why should I want to murder your mother? Money. You have none.
1: I will have when the time comes. She would not be missed except by her hairdresser and the chiropodist. (laughs) The sales of Sterident might show a slight hiccup. (laughs) That apart, who cares?
0: You? Well?
1: No, I could not do it. i ask you to do it. Sure? Yes
0: well, the right decision. Now you can return to your task with renewed dedication. Mother and her continuing welfare, making her comfortable, Miss Plunkett, conserving her precious energy, exhausting yourself in her service day in and day out, prolonging her days even at the risk of shortening your own. Oh God. And here, unless I'm very much mistaken, comes mother. Her lie down seems to have done her good. There's a spring in her step, though she seems a little peeved. Yes, you're sitting in her chair. I'd better push off. Damn,
1: damn, damn.
0: And then there's music and music out and music in and it's a few days later. Ah, Miss Plunkett, we meet again. Did you enjoy the lunch? How was your fish? Swimming in water. No mother?
1: Today is the anniversary of father's death. She likes to spend it turning over her cherished mementos. Letters. Of credit, chiefly. Share certificates and such like. They grow more precious year by year.
0: And now is she in herself? Never better. Well, it doesn't surprise me. I saw in the Reader's Digest the other day, there's no reason why useful, productive life nowadays shouldn't go on beyond 90. 90? Yes, and the good news is, women last longer than men.
1: Listen, Mr Mortimer. Are you prepared to cast the suggestions you made to me the other day in the form of a definite proposition? I'm sorry? What suggestions were those? When we spoke the other day.
0: I recall no suggestions. I remember you drawing your attention to the risks attendant on old age, but suggestions, still less propositions, Miss Plunkett. No, perhaps you could refresh my memory. What are you saying, Miss Plunkett? Do I have to spell it out? I would prefer it. I wouldn't like there to be any misunderstanding.
1: I am saying, Mr. Mortimer, that I would like something to happen to my mother. And? That I would like you to arrange it as soon as possible.
0: I see. Miss Blunkett, I wonder if I might draw your attention to this bulge in my trousers. It is not, perhaps, quite what you may imagine. <laughs> Nature, while fair, has not been over-generous, no. <laughs> Alas, this, this distinct protuberance is only a radio transmitter. I have to tell you, Miss Plunkett, I am bugged. Bugged? Every word of our conversation has been digitally recorded. No, please, Miss Plunkett. Do not attempt to wrest the offending apparatus from between my legs. (laughs) Not merely would the gesture be open to misinterpretation. (laughs) It would also be futile, as this package is only the transmitter tuned to recording apparatus which is elsewhere. What is more important to grasp is that everything you have said, particularly your suggestion I should do away with your mother, oh yes, Miss Plunkett, that is what you said, has been recorded and can be played back to any interested party. You mean, my mother? Your mother, the police, help the aged, anybody. (laughs) But it was you. You asked me if I wanted her murdered. Come, come, Miss Plunkett. Do I look like a contract killer? No, no, no. I never had any intention of murdering your mother. Excuse me one moment while I unzip my trousers and switch off the recording apparatus. There we are. No, as I was saying, my intentions, dishonourable as they were, were much less dramatic. I shall just require a payment, now and again, possibly, just so that I keep my mouth shut. After all, we don't want Mother upsetting. Upset her and she might leave everything to the cat's home. But I have no money. Mother has the money. That's the point. She has diamond earrings, some ruby clips, not to mention a wonderful emerald brooch, a whole repertoire of noble and distinguished jewellery she delights in displaying. And she is getting on. The memory fails. Were the odd item to disappear, she might think it mislaid. You are a resourceful woman. You've proved that. Blackmail. Yes, Betty, the ugly word. Betty. I feel we know each other well enough. And we shall probably get to know each other better as time goes on. In the meantime, perhaps you could give me a modest check to cover the hire of sound equipment and so on. (laughs) Shall we say... A hundred pounds? And shall I make it out to Mr. Mortimer?
1: Mr. Arthur Mortimer? Uh, Yes, but... uh, Uh, Not to Mr. Cyril Copestake or Mr. Percy Tessimund, Mr. Duncan Bracegirdle or Mr. Hubert Crisp? I don't understand. Don't you? Then take a look at my bust. Ample, as I am sure you've noticed, and made ampler by this copious cardigan. But even swathed in dun colored knitwear, a certain asymmetry must be obvious. My left breast ampler than my right. Lay this not at nature's door, but blame it rather upon the presence of, yes, yet another radio transmitter. <laughs> which has faithfully recorded every detail of your sordid scheme.
0: My sordid scheme? You wanted me to murder your mother. Except that I have no mother. But
1: the old lady... Far from being my mother, she is an eminently respectable member of the BBC Repertory Company. (laughs) Now retired and glad of earning a little pin money.
0: And you? Who are you?
1: I am Detective Sergeant Alma (laughs) Briscoe of the Torquay Vice Squad. And I must warn you, Mr. Satterthwaite, that anything you may, etc., etc. — I'm sure you're familiar with the form. I cannot tell you what pleasure it gives me to lay you by the heels. For too long, your foul little antics have brought wretchedness and misery to the ocean lounges of our grander seaside hotels. <laughs> You've prayed too long on the natural antipathyy. An, anti, antipathy. <laughs> You've prayed too long on the natural antipathy all children feel for their parents turning the thoughts of blameless elderly daughters, carers, companions, to thoughts of felony and murder. A faulty electric blanket, a fall, those very eventualities from which these blameless old ladies are protected by the devotion of their carers. And I use the word proudly. A shadow has been lifted from the Cornish Riviera, Mr. Cuthbush. <laughs> Your career is over. I see you scanning the lounge for a means of escape. Do not even think of it, Mr. Archbold. That waitress serving tea was just tipped hot water over the elderly gentleman. She is a policewoman. (laughs) The pianist now taking his place at the piano in the Atlantic Lounge. A detective constable. No, Mr. F. Jack Pickerskill. (laughs) This is what is known as a sting. So if you will kindly accompany me to the foyer without any fuss, we don't want a scene after all. I will put the cuffs on you there.
0: One question. Yes? How did your own mother die?
1: Tragically. Having partaken of a plentiful meal of some pre-cooked chicken, stuffed with dubious prawns, (laughs) she decided to have a cup of Horlicks prior to taking her bath. As the ever, is such it was, began to take hold, she became dizzy and spilt the hot drink over the electric blanket. (laughs) The shock from which combined with a faulty brake on our wheelchair, caused her to precipitate herself over the side of the bar. <laughs> Where, had she not swiftly drowned, she must surely have died of exposure. <laughs> I was hardly surprised when the verdict was brought in of death by misadventure. <laughs> I loved her, Mr Mortimer. My genuine grief made a most favourable impression on the coroner. After you.
0: Uh, Judy's going, she didn't want to say, but she's going off to... Um, she plays M in the new Bond film, and uh, she's going off to the, uh, to the film premiere. Um, she's involved in the funniest um, laughing-on-stage story that uh, I've ever come across. Where, um, uh, during this time, you ought to be thinking of questions. Um, uh, she, uh, she was once in a production of Three Sisters, and uh, th- where the, the uh, youngest sister, I think, uh, Irina, which Judy was playing, um, falls in love with the schoolmaster, Ferdor. And um, uh, in the uh, uh, first act, he has a moustache, and then in the second act, he shaves it off. And sh- in the second act, she has the line, Oh, Ferdor, I don't like you so much now you've shaved your moustache off. And she was well embarked on the line when she saw to her horror that <laughs> the, the actor concerned had forgotten to take the moustache off, <laughs> So she said, uh, Oved, oh, I don't like you so much now you've shaved your moustache off. And grown it again. <laughs> uh, but of course, by this time he'd realized his mistake <laughs> and had turned up stage and had removed the moustache. <laughs> So she ended up saying, uh, oh, Feodor, I don't like you so much. Now you've shaved your mustache off and grown it again and shaved it off again. (laughs)